buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. Hey, before we start today's episode, I wanted to bring you in on the best kept secret in B2B sales. If you're serious about social selling and your only strategy is cold DMs through LinkedIn, you're missing the mark big time. Learn how a fully managed revenue generating podcast can change your life and your pipeline at salescast.co. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. I'm excited today to have Rob Turley on. He's the president and co-founder over at White Rabbit Intel. Rob's the president and co-founder, like I mentioned. He's a visionary who thinks and sees things differently. They call him the RevOps Hitman. He's a true definition of a disruptor in sales and marketing space, and his ideas are often unpopular with mainstream influencers because he shatters their deep-rooted paradigm. So you know this is going to be an interesting conversation. Rob, oh, yeah. show. often goes into controversy, which is totally fine <laughs> because if you fight me, that means you're either thinking differently or, or learning something. So I'd rather have a user brain and be upset with me than to adhere to the status quo. Yeah, there we go. All right. So without further ado, let's get into it. Give us a little bit of a background, like before we start pissing some folks off, why should people even listen to you? Give us a little bit of your background and your professional um, story. So my my background is a hot mess that makes absolutely no sense at all. I'll establish that up front. That, uh, you know, when I was younger, like a kid, uh, worked in landscaping, drywalling, roof ceiling, plumbing. Uh, I was a plumber's apprentice for a while. And then I went to college uh, at RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology. For those who don't know it, it's like the MIT of New York and MIT and RIT hate each other. It's a constant battle. Uh, I went for graphic design, specialized in user experience, user interface, uh, minored in uh, business psychology, advertising, communications, PR, and uh, journalism writing. Yeah. Wow. That's a mess. <laughs> That's a mouthful. And from there uh, is that uh, I was working professionally all throughout college. So uh, pretty much 40 hours a week uh, while I was uh, taking 18 to 21 credits. Uh, I was a fucking psychopath pretty much. Uh, then from there, uh, invented a patent during college, currently selling that to, uh, to a large automotive manufacturer uh, or a couple that like, I'm trying to get bids on it. And then uh, worked in advertising, worked in uh, global events uh, for ph- big pharma, uh, also worked in um, – what communications and PR hated that. Oh my God, did I hate that. And then, um, it's the people, the culture is like, uh, but, um, very fake. Right. 
Uh, then mm-hmm. from there, went into uh, web development uh, and web design to product development, product design, and then into artificial intelligence uh, after a brief dip into the crypto uh, dark pool uh, world. Yeah, yeah. So I think now your preface to that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know. Done a lot of stuff. Uh, so background in UX, UI, right? And then moved into uh, sales out of uh, necessity, though I was a bartender throughout most of all of that. And uh, I learned to sell through bartending, really. Uh, the best upsell is that, you know, you say you want another drink. They're like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. Like, You're good, but you could be great. <laughs> 60% success rate. I mean, you could probably even just say, are you sure? And shut up. And they'd be like, oh, fine. One more. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. That's good. You can insult some people with that, though. If you say it, you're good, but you could be great, your tip will increase or they will buy another drink. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, so today we're going to talk about some interesting things. Um, I know that you're a bit of a data geek, so, um, let's talk about data. Let's talk about making decisions based on data. Tell us a little bit, just high level of what you guys do over there. And then let's lead into like how sellers and revenue teams could be using that to make better decisions around data. Sure. I mean, all decisions should be made around data because the data is tracked. Um, A lot of the times companies don't even know it's being tracked because the CRM automatically tracks it, Uh, it automatically logs it. You just don't have it visible or you don't know what to do with it. And when I say you, I mean anybody who doesn't. Um, Now, the issue is that a lot of people uh, look at selling as a speculative process. There's no reason for it to be as speculative as it is. It's an assumption. It's an educated guess. Or it's who you want to sell to, though you may not even, you might not, maybe selling to them is a bad idea. Uh, mm. For example, uh, someone wants to target CROs at SaaS companies in the United States between 200 to 500 in size. That's their target. Yeah. First off, that's not really a target because it's not nearly granular enough. That's why your win rate's less than 5%. Um, and then second off is that um, you may not even sell any of them because none of them are a fit. You should be selling to sales directors at SaaS companies, specifically in fintech, Um you know, between the size of a thousand to 5,000, you don't really know where you should be or where you could be because there's a bunch of outliers to the process. It's not about what you want. It's about what the market wants, which is what people forget. And by learning humans, that's how you're able to really break the veil at that point. It's not so much about the company. Everybody talks about account-based targeting. That's a good first step in the right direction. But you can target accounts all you want. That's not all that relevant. What's rel- businesses do not buy from other businesses. That is a common misconception. People who work at businesses buy from other people who just so happen to work at another business because they're trying to solve a collective problem as a group. So impulse buys out the window. Businesses buying something out the window, unless it's some sort of commodity, like you're buying uh, like 10 million screws or something like that, then it's all about price. But when you're talking about the experience, your product is similar to a lot of other products. Whether you think it is or isn't, whether you think you're unique, which is founder's disease or not, it doesn't matter how unique you are because if people perceive you the same as ZoomInfo or some other random company, that is what you are to them. That is the reality. So how do you cut through the noise so they don't go with an alternative? You have to get as targeted as possible. We have an issue in the market. There's a disease going around. It's a plague. It's called high volume outreach. What it's done is dug this mile wide hole that we're all sitting in right now, which is why everybody's like, please help RevOps, help. Uh, mile wide hole that everybody's sitting in and we just keep picking up the shovel and digging deeper thinking it's a rope. 
that shovel is doubling the emails, doubling the cold calls, doubling the ad spend, doubling everything. Where if you're not hitting your quotas, double everything, more stress, weaker relationships. In the end, you get more sales. But really, what are you doing? You're adding to a cumulative issue. Just because your company doubled their emails, who says all the other ones didn't too? So now it becomes an even deeper sea and longer sea of noise. And that's why we're sitting right now in a place that it takes 18 touches to get someone's attention on average. 10 years ago, it was seven to nine. 10 years before that, it was three to four. We're headed really fast in the wrong fucking direction, okay? Mm. And that's because we're not using a data-driven approach. You use high volume because you don't know what you're supposed to do or who you're supposed to call. That's why you do it because eventually a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. Sure, that's the way sales is treated. It's a numbers game. Law of large numbers. If you, if you uh, email 1,000 people, 10 will reply. Out of those 10 who reply, three will be qualified. Out of the three that are qualified, one will close. No. It's you can do it much smarter instead of working harder. And that's the idea behind why uh, my partner and I started White Rabbit Intel is because we need to solve this problem smarter, not harder. Instead of contacting a thousand people, why not just have a technology that can find the needles in the haystack? Analyze who you've done business with, who you failed to do business with, build a predictive model around that. And we output a persona so more leads can be found with it. That's just a side output. But the predictive model allows you to take any leads that are generated, run them through, and then see how well they fit to your client base. I.e., Gen J, a company XYZ, is 87.4% fit to your client base. You should reach out to her right now. Everybody else out of that list of 1,000 got disqualified. You have the cream of the crop, top 10, top 50, whatever it may be, right up there. And you can prioritize them based off of the level of fit. Okay, so question for the for you on that point there. So <clears throat> you process this list, you get the you know the needles in the haystack. You can reach out to those specific people that are the most likely best fit for you to do business with. What do you do with the remainder of that list? Do they at some point become a better fit, or are they be ignored, or does anything change to then? increase the percentage of the likelihood that they're a good fit for you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Over time, businesses change. The market changes. Uh, your uh, persona shifts. Your your product might shift. So the persona shifts with it. Everything's moving. It's a moving target at all times in business. So if someone only scored as, let's say, a 12% fit, that doesn't mean in six months they won't be a, a 42% or an 86%. So you can run them again uh, because we're pulling data from the sources, like the, the meta scrapers out there, the big brothers out there, uh, every single time on any contact record so that we can enrich it with all of the psychometric data, uh, uh, some behavioral, demographic, firmographic, geographic, you name it. We're pulling it all in one place, but we're making it um, centric around <clears throat> the individual human being, the person, since people buy from the people that they know, like, and trust. If it's somebody who doesn't fit that criteria, know, like, and trust, even if they have a need for it, they're not going to buy from you. I just had a conversation with Andy Paul, uh, the huge sales influencer out there. He, uh, it's about rehumanizing uh, sales is what he talks about all the time. And it's about being human and it's about initial perception. If the person doesn't like you or what your business stands for, it's simple. They will never do business with you, period. Mm. So, okay. That's an interesting point. I love Andy Paul. Um, big fan of Andy Paul. Um, I had a call with him this morning, actually. So, uh, um, he's now one of my favorite, uh, I call him, a, uh, one of the sales sages and that's, it's yeah. not easy to get to that level. There's only, and he's been that way for a long time since the very beginning of his career, he decided to just do things differently. 
you know, um, I don't know if he told you the story, but like in his, you know, his first sales training, basically they came back and like, Hey, this guy's not, should not be in sales. <laughs> and his manager took a shot on him and he did things his way and has been extremely successful. And that, that's funny. That I was told the same thing. Uh, this guy should <laughs> not be in sales. It's funny. Some of the people that don't have those typical sales characteristics are the best people in sales. And that's, that's an interesting thing. You need but, to be persuasive. No, you need to be influential and like myself, brutally honest. People either love you or they hate you. That middle ground is all a bunch of gray area that you don't even want to be a part of. They either love you, they hate you, they respect you, or they don't. I don't so, believe in black and white either. But when it comes to emotions, it's usually a mix of everything. But then your brain spits it out as a black and white answer. Hmm. Okay, so I want to follow up on this point, right? Is you're looking at this data and looking at some very specific things to say, you know, let's say if you're looking at it from a sales rep perspective rather than a company, right? So let's say, are they, how, how, um, can you do this? I don't know. Um, maybe they're a good fit. Maybe they're, uh, somewhat of a good fit percentage wise for the company, but would they be a better fit with a specific sales rep that's more aligned with that potential buyer? And talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I mean, if you only uh, analyze a sales rep's data, a particular sales rep, then it's centric, around, it's centric around them completely, right? So that is what it is. If it's about them, then it's about them. If it's about a team, you could do teams. If it's about a product, you could do products. It's about the entire company target. It's about that. It's, if it's about who subscribes to your marketing crap, it's about who your subscribes to your marketing crap. It, it all depends on you teach the system what it wants to analyze and then you teach it what a positive outcome is and what the negative outcome is. That way it knows right from wrong. Well, what I'm interested in knowing more is like when you look at the psychographics of things, there could be people that would prefer to, let's just say you and I work at a company together. We sell the same exact thing and there's particular buyers that are going to be better matched with you. And there's particular buyers that are going to be better matched with me based on those things. So do you take those things into consideration when running these data models? That is up to the client to do so. We recommend it, but you need to have a salesperson who's been there long enough or has had enough transactions uh, for the model to be statistically relevant. That's the thing. Right. So we rarely have that opportunity to work with people at that rate uh, simply because they don't have the data per salesperson. You'd need someone who's like senior who's sold a lot, right? Yeah. They've had a lot of, of history to be able to make that call. Otherwise, you're, you're, it's just still an assumption at that point. You can make the guesses uh, if you want to, but we usually recommend doing team-based because the leader of the team usually trains the team to have a similar approach, uh, the manager. So it makes sense to do it team-based. Um, and to give you an idea of what the day-to-day -day looks like, for a salesperson who's using more of a data-driven process, whether it's us or someone else, doesn't matter. Uh, but you'll have these, uh, what I call our priority tiers. Based off of priority of the contact, how well they fit, are they going to be able to build a relationship with you? This has nothing to do with ready, if they're ready to buy now or not. This has to do with, can they build a relationship with you and are they a fit to buy at some point? If they're ready to buy now, you're still just playing the lottery. You're throwing darts at a dartboard with a blindfold on and you get lucky every now and then. That's just a fact. People can decide not to buy simply because they had a bad day, right? Uh, yeah. There's so many external influencers that there's no way to predict that accurately. What we're looking at is if they buy in six months or today, it doesn't matter. It's that you should be building a relationship with that person and continuously nurturing it because when they're ready to buy, they'll call you and won't even go into the active looking phase. 
So the idea with the priority tiers is that if you have a really good fit to top priority lead, direct outreach, multi-level, omni-channel human touch, do not use automated outreach methods. Tw- like uh, The next tier down is a high priority, not top. Direct outreach, again, hyper-targeted cold calls, personalized email, social engagement to achieve relevance at scale, right? So a little bit lower touch process. Uh, mid-priority leads, uh, targeted sequence and cadence automation, standard cold call outreach, but you're not pitching them. You're just trying to educate them. You're trying to build a relationship or at least start building a relationship. And then the low-priority leads, uh, that's like a 5 to 10% fit. Automated messaging, general marketing, collateral distribution, and engagement because your chances of selling them are next to none. Every now and then, like I said, a blind squirrel finds a nut. So yeah, if they're that low of a fit and they want to buy from you, they'll make that decision even if it's an automated garbage message because they're generally not. Uh, anything below that is a waste of your time. So not targeting anybody who's not a fit at all. If they're below that 5% range, the chances of them shooting up to a 90% are like astronomical, no matter how much time goes by. So you would just strip those people out of the database, put them in an offline database somewhere, throw them into a hard drive, whatever. If you feel like you need to keep them in your your contact data hoarder, just, it doesn't matter. Just, just throw them out. Yeah. Um, or or even just put them in in there specifically to say, these are people we don't contact <laughs> because it's a waste of our time. You know, that's an interesting point that you make is that why don't we create anti-persona lists for salespeople saying anybody who looks like this, don't sell to them. Don't yeah. sell to them. That There needs to be more anti-persona and anti-sales training to understand who they shouldn't be targeting because the number of missed sales, especially in the SaaS industry, is disgusting. That's why the churn rate's so high. That's why uh, a product gets just misaligned. Um, if you miss sell a bunch of clients, it also affects your product and engineering team because they're engineering solutions and features for people who aren't a fit in the first place who are going to churn. And the people who are the good fit for your solution are not getting heard because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. If something's wrong, people complain and they're loud as hell about it. If something's right and they can, they would like to see some improvement, they keep their mouth shut. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's like a catch 22. You can't win that battle. So you have to be very careful with who you sell to. Well, it's, it, it, it's, it also creates a bigger problem, right? Because you get those occasional wins with the wrong person. And then you're like, hey, we should target more people like this. And then more time and energy is spent on going after a certain persona or a certain you know type of client. That's exactly that not the best fit. Exactly where my CROs at SaaS companies between 200 to 500 in size story came from. Out of a thousand of them, there was one that was a fit. Just one. <laughs> and you're going to call all of them and nurture all of them? That is, is that not absolutely fucking ridiculous? It's an uninformed decision. That's it. It's that simple. They're not doing anything now, wrong. They're doing the best with what they have. Now, what do, what do you do if you're a company... And let's say you are making decisions based on data. Maybe they're working with somebody like you guys um, and they're using this for outbound. What do they do for inbound? What if they start getting leads on a regular basis? Let's say they get inbound leads on a regular basis and they know who they shouldn't be working with and they know these leads that are coming in are not a fit. What do they do? Literally don't talk to them. In the B2B space, it's difficult. A lot of B2B companies don't do social advertising because you get a ton of inbound that's absolutely irrelevant. And then you have like 10 sales teams dealing with all these people and you have to talk to them because they're inbound. 
when really, if you use a data-driven approach or a way to analyze these people to see how well they fit, you don't have to make that mistake where, you know, talk to the people who are a fit. That makes sense. Uh, there's one company, uh, it's owned by a very, very hefty marketing influencer out there that I won't name out of respect. Um, 6,000 inbound leads a week for a B2B service. That's a lot. Okay. Uh, out of those 6,000, 60 of them, six zero sixty convert as a client. There are five sales teams, large sales teams that are working these leads and they can't even do outbound because they're stuck working these leads. And only 60 of them are closing. Think about the sales team's morale. Do you want to be there? No, you don't. Are you going to put I mean, me I even, I even know from my own personal experience, right, is the work that we do, we, we, we create a ton of content and we get a lot of inbound leads. But a vast majority of the inbound leads that we get are not qualified. They are not people that we should be working with. They're tire kickers or they're fans or they're people who just want to know what you do, like people who are just curious and that's the yes. end of that. So being able to analyze them and say, okay, here are the 60 people. There are the needles in the haystack. And then forget the rest of them. Throw them into like a nurture sequence or an automated campaign or into a robot loop. Yeah. Yeah. Or outsource that. Have them talk to by by an outsourced team that so your company can focus on what And matters. I know that that's, that's a point that probably a lot of people would have a hard time swallowing that, right? Or getting on board with that. But I've actually had a similar uh, experience where myself, where I reached out to a company that I was curious about what they did and they did some sort of review and said, Hey, sorry, we work with companies that are this, and it does not look like you'd be a good fit. Feel free to reach back in the future. And you would think that might piss some people off. Um, but I actually appreciated them not wasting my time. Yeah. It's, it's not just a waste of your time as a seller. It's the waste of the buyer's time. If they think they're a fit and you know, they're not a fit, you know that they're not a fit. Uh, then you shouldn't be selling to them. Do them that favor. If they get pissed, that's on their own volition. They'll forget that that even happened in like a week, I promise. People's memories are horrible. They'll just be like, ah, oh, screw that guy, whatever. And that's the end of that. They'll never think about it again. And if they say, oh, this person wouldn't sell to me. I mean, let's say that does get out there and they start talking about that. You would get a lot of respect for not selling to someone who isn't a fit. It would work the opposite of what you think. All The mm. first rule of PR is that all PR is good PR. Right. <laughs> All you have to yeah. do is manipulate the story to work to your advantage. But what you're actually doing is that you save that person time, money and yourself time and money. So you did them a favor. They just were not aware of the impact that it has on both ends. Yeah. Somebody told me something one time and I don't know if they caught it on social or heard it directly. Um, you know, Grant Cardone, whether you like him, whether you don't, doesn't matter. Right. But it, he, he, somebody had asked him something around like, Hey, you get all these hate and people, you know, and he's like, I don't want people to like me. I just want people to know me. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel the same way. I, well, except I don't care if you know me or not. It, it It's the same way for me in the sense, I don't care if you like me or if you don't, if you don't walk away more educated with a new idea or with a drive to accomplish something, then I have failed as a human being. Hmm. It's an interesting perspective. Um, all right. So where can people get started? I mean, this is, this is, I think people that are listening, we've had some sales leaders, you know, that are listening and like, man, this is interesting. Maybe we're, you know, spinning our wheels, wasting our time. Um, how do we get started with something like this? Where can people connect with you? How could they get started with, sure. you know, white rabbit, all that good stuff? Well, everybody's thinking it, but nobody's saying it with, 
<laughs> spinning wheels and wasting time uh, because uh, the investors of the board will <laughs> you're done. Uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of the point there is that if you want to get in touch with us, feel free to uh, reach out to us on LinkedIn. Anybody from White Rabbit Intel, totally fine. Uh, or you can go to the website, www.whiterabbitintel.com. And then if you add a forward slash request dash demo, if you want to see what the product's all about, you can do that there. Happy to help in any way that we can. And um, yeah, it, it, you can see, you can hear more from, from myself and other professionals too uh, over at Down the Rabbit Hole podcast. I'm not trying to challenge your podcast, totally different perspective on everything. It's, it's not actually all about sales. Um, but yeah, no, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Totally fine. Forward slash the dash RevOps dash Hitman. Feel free. Um, usually open to a conversation, but please allow a 24 to 48 hour turnaround for new connections. I will drop the links there in the show notes for everybody. One final question I was just thinking, because I think people might be thinking about this is how much data do they need to get started with building a model? Like how many wins, how many losses? So statistical relevance is... 50 wins and 100 losses, though my recommendation is 100 wins and 200 losses. It's a one to two ratio win to loss. And gotcha. we can measure anything if it's not sales, successful sales. We can look at the people who met with you, build a predictive model around who meets with you. We can build it around uh, who was successful through a marketing campaign, who clicked versus who opened it and didn't interact. So any situation where there's a positive and negative that involves contact records we can build a predictive model and a persona around it and do predictions. Interesting. All right. Well, thanks again, Rob. We'll include the links there in the show notes for everybody. If you enjoyed the episode today, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. Really does help us out. And we're always listening for your feedback as well. You can go to salestransformation.fm and drop us a voice DM and we will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.